Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. No matter your age, you can probably recall the school teachers who impacted your life, but none can hold a candle to the greatest teacher. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, The Jesus You May Not Know, and considers what it means when a teacher also claims to be the truth. To introduce today's message, is he the teacher of truth or the truth to be taught? Here's David. You know, friends, too often when people are asked about Jesus, uh, they say that they know about him, but they do not actually know and understand who this humble God-man truly is. Many a people that I've met, millions of them, in fact, over the years, who've probably listened to Turning Point, call themselves Christians, but they've only gotten a passing acquaintance with Jesus. They don't know much about him, and their own personal relationship with him is very remote. So here we are in the midst of this series, which we have called The Jesus You May Not Know, and we're walking through some of the important truths about our Savior that we need to make sure we understand. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus as the truth. One of the names that he was called often was rabbi, which means teacher. He was the supreme teacher. But he also claimed in John chapter 14, not only was he the teacher, he was also the truth. He was the teacher and he was the subject. And that's something no one else ever claims. Jesus uniquely claimed to be the teacher and the truth. Which was he? Well, he was both, as you know. And we're going to learn that today as we open our Bibles together and as we open to this chapter in this brand new book called The Jesus You May Not Know. I want you to have this book. It's very important to me that you get a copy of this because uh, the things we say about Jesus are so critical in this day when his name is being assaulted and the truth about him is being undercut. You need to have something that's solid and reliable that will help you answer the questions people pose when you're under attack about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So this 250-page book will codify those answers. You will have them at your fingertips. It's beautifully uh, portrayed. It's got a wonderful cover. There's a study guide to go with it and a CD package as well. Find out about it at our website. But to get the book, all you have to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. We're asking you, because of the challenges we are all facing in the ministries of uh, outreach, we're asking you to be as generous as you can. If God has blessed you and you have more than enough, uh, this is a good time for you to reflect that in ministries that you believe in and that help you. We need to stay strong during this time, and we need you to do that. So thank you for your investment and for the privilege of sending this beautiful new book to you, The Jesus You May Not Know. Be sure to ask for it when you send your gift today. Well, let's jump into our lesson. Let's find out, is Jesus the teacher or is he the truth? West Stafford was speaking at an educators conference in Nairobi, Kenya, 
when he was impressed by the dedication of the approximately 400 teachers who had come to this mission compound for this special moment. Near the end of his talk, he asked the group if anyone had a story to share. A young man in the third row stood up and he said he was still in his first year of teaching and he loved it. And then he told the group why he had chosen the field of education. He recalled how his first days as a schoolboy had been painful because he suffered from stuttering in a terrible way. He felt embarrassed and alone and he could hardly wait for each day to end so he could go home. But his teacher, noticing his struggle, approached him and praised his work, and she wrote encouraging notes on his papers and gave him some of the only hugs that he'd ever received in his whole life. And it was at that moment he decided he wanted to be a teacher, all the way back in the first grade because of a wise and loving teacher. Staffer asked him, did you ever tell her of her impact on your life? He said, no, I never really did. Do you think she even knows, said Stafford. The young man said, well, sir, she does now. There was a hush in the crowd as the young man collected himself. Turning, he pointed across the crowded room and continued, because she's sitting right over there. The teachers gasped and turned to see where this man was pointing. There sat an aged, gray-haired woman with glistening eyes who, amid tremendous applause, stood quietly to her feet. I love Wes Stafford. Here's what he said about that. He said, I can't prove it, but I could swear violins were playing as the two of them made their way to the center aisle and met in a warm, lingering, and overdue embrace. Teachers change lives. And the lives of millions of people have been changed by a teacher they met in grade school or high school or college or Sunday school. Good teachers leave a deep imprint. And the American author Philip Wiley said, one good teacher in a lifetime can sometimes change a delinquent into a solid citizen. I'm sure all of you can think back over your lives and remember one or maybe two particular teachers. The teacher who really made the first impact on my life She entered my life 70 years ago. I was in the first grade. And believe it or not, after 70 years, I remember her name. Her name was Miss Gaydell. She taught in the school that I went to when my father was a pastor in Toledo, Ohio. She encouraged me and helped me. I felt so out of place for some reason, like we all do. School's a pretty rough place to be if you're there for the first time. She made an impact on my life. And I'm sure you can remember somebody like that as well. And America is full of godly professors and teachers. I believe teachers share a noble profession. And I believe that because if you're a teacher, you have chosen the same vocational opportunity as the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the master teacher. He was often addressed not as Jesus or Lord, but his title of teacher. In Matthew 8, 19, a scribe came to Jesus saying, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. The rich young ruler addressed Jesus and said to him, Good teacher, what thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? Once the disciples were caught in a storm and they awoke Jesus saying, Teacher, 
Do you not care that we are perishing? James and John came to Jesus one time and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Now, if you were to take a concordance, especially an unabridged concordance, and look up the word teacher or rabbi, you'd be surprised. Jesus is called teacher or rabbi more than 45 times in the New Testament. Jesus is called teacher by the first person following the resurrection. Remember that story? Mary Magdalene was standing by the tomb weeping when she turned around and she saw Jesus. And at first she thought he was the gardener, but then it came to her like a rush. It was Jesus. In John 20, 16, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus also spoke of himself in this way. In John 13, 13, he told his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. Just as he is king of kings and lord of lords, he is also teacher of teachers. He's the supreme educator of the ages. Sometimes he taught two or three people at once, sometimes just one. Other times he spoke to thousands without the amplification or electronic projection. And even now he is our teacher and he speaks to us across the ages, does he not? Through his words which find a foundation in our minds and in our hearts. Dr. J. Oswald Sanders pointed out that the teachings of Jesus were simple and vital and ethical and practical and original and psychologically correct and absolutely true. Indeed, true in every way. We know his teachings are true because he himself is the truth. So before we look at the nature of his teachings, let's look at what it means for Jesus to be the very definition of truth. Jesus is the truth. He is both God and man. As God, he is the source of the truth. As man, he's the personification of the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't simply say, I will show you the way, I will tell you the truth, I will provide you life. He boldly declared he was those things. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He was the very embodiment of those things. This is a major theme in John's gospel. As you study the fourth gospel, which is one of my favorites in the Bible, you can't help noticing how the subject of truth just keeps coming up again and again. John begins in chapter 1 telling us that Jesus Christ was the true light and that he came to us from the Father full of grace and truth and referred to himself as the true bread from heaven. Perhaps John's interest in emphasizing the nature of his Absolute integrity was prompted by something John heard when Jesus was on trial. You remember in this public exchange, Jesus told Governor Pontius Pilate, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate snarled back at him with this question, what is truth? You can see the smirk on his face. 
That is the cynical cry of relativism today. Humanism and secularism, Pilate's question, has overtaken our age. And most modern thinkers, they reject the existence of ultimate truth or absolute values. Os Guinness points out in his book, Impossible People, that today's radical form of philosophy claims that all human knowledge is socially constructed and nothing more. In other words, we invent truth. We make up knowledge. It has no objective, absolute source. That's what's being taught. And that is what you hear if you enroll in many of today's university classes in philosophy, history, biology, or any other subject. When you send your children to a secular school, you best let them know they're going to hear this and they best be ready to respond to it. The sneer of Pilate is echoing in the halls of our colleges, across our screens, through the pages of our textbooks. And the world tells us there are no eternal foundations. There's no truth. I have truth, you have truth. If you let me have my truth, I'll let you have your truth, even though they may be totally contradictory to each other. So we don't believe in laws. We don't believe in standards. We believe in whatever we create. This has a profound impact on everything that happens in our own lives and in the culture in which we live. So here's the deal. We think that we have truth at our disposal, that we can make our own truth. Randy Alcorn reminds us that truth isn't about our own perceptions or desires. It's always about reality with a capital R. A majority of us could get together and agree that we'd like gravity to be suspended tomorrow, but our vote would have no impact on reality. You and I can discover truth, but we cannot create truth. What's true is true, and what's not is not for all of us, all the time. Our culture views truth as something inside of us, subject to revision according to our growth and enlightenment. Scripture views truth as something outside of us, which we can believe or not, but never, ever change. I do not have the authority to change the meaning of the Bible. My job is to find out what the Bible really means, what it really says, and then help us all understand what that means to us. Count me among those who will stand and shout that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the author of truth. Jesus is the communication of truth. Without this core axiom, there's nothing on which to build one's life. That's why there's so much chaos and confusion in our world today. Everybody's inventing their own set of truth. There's nothing but the kind of despair that eventually overwhelmed Pilate, who's gone down in history as one of the greatest fools who ever lived. He stood face to face with the truth himself and rejected him. He had the truth standing in front of him, and he asked the truth, what is truth? He could have accepted Jesus. So can you. Think of what this means. If Jesus Christ is the incarnation of truth, we can have a personal relationship with the incarnation of the truth. We can not only know Jesus, we can know truth. The truth is absolute. It's objective, but it's also personal and knowable. That's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Because this truth is a person, 
you can know him. And because he is Jesus, he can set you free. Nothing more liberating than the truth, no matter how hard it is. How many times I thought about this during my bout with cancer, when I would take a test on a Monday and be told that I couldn't get the answer back for 10 days. And all during that time, I would say to myself, whatever it is, is immaterial. I just want to know what it is. I want the truth. And today in our culture, the greatest need we have is for truth. For honest reporting, for honest speaking, for honest living. The Bible says there's one who can give us that truth, that way, that life, and that one is Jesus Christ. You will never have a true moment of truth until you meet the truth himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus, the truth. The question is, is he the teacher of the truth or is he the truth itself? He is the truth itself, but he's also the teacher of truth. Oh, what we can learn about Jesus as we study his teaching. Jesus, the truth, and Jesus, the teacher. At St. Francis High School in Long Canada, California, math teacher Jim O'Connor is known for his tough, no-nonsense approaching to algebra, pushing his students, all of them boys, into shape. O'Connor is a Vietnam vet. He told CBS, it drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. Pat McGoldrick, a senior at St. Francis, says it this way. Until people get used to him, they think he's really mean. But all that changed for Pat one day when he and his classmates visited Los Angeles Children's Hospital to recruit blood donors for a blood drive they were organizing. When the boys mentioned where they went to school, they were immediately met with awe. The hospital staff said things like, oh, so you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? And the boys were stunned. They didn't think it was all that wonderful. They thought he was mean. As if they were being honest and a little confused about the man they thought they knew, that confusion was cleared up when they saw a plaque in the hospital for all-time donors. And at the top of the list was Jim O'Connor, a universal blood donor, type O negative. O'Connor has donated 72 gallons of blood and platelets since 1989, surely saving countless lives along the way. But there was more. The boys learned that day that Jim O'Connor, who never married or had children of his own, volunteers three days a week holding and rocking sick and dying babies when their parents can't be there. O'Connor says of the babies, I don't want to see them alone. I can't do that. O'Connor's students were blown away. I mean, I've always respected him, said Pat, but now it's to an even different degree. Now I not only respect him, I want to be like him. The most effective teachers in life are those who model the truth that they teach and challenge their students to grow beyond what they think are their possibilities. And that was true of Jesus, was it not? He influenced his disciples not only by what he said, but by how he lived and by the curriculum he taught. He had a vision of what disciples could be, and he gave his life to teaching them what would that look like in you. 
We don't have time to unpack all the essentials of his message. Well, I want to share with you just three ways that Jesus' teaching not only affected those who heard it when he walked on this earth, but how it affects us today as well as followers of Jesus. First of all, when Jesus taught, his teaching challenged people, and his teaching will challenge you. The Jesus you may not know was a teacher who constantly challenged people. He challenged their priorities, their potential, their possibilities. For example, Jesus challenged the rich young ruler's priorities. Remember what he said to him? He said, go and sell everything you have and then come back and follow me. Well, he didn't really care whether the man sold everything he had or not. Here's what the problem was. This man didn't have his wealth. His wealth had him. And Jesus wanted to find out if he was willing to walk away from that in order to put Jesus first in his life. Jesus also sent out his disciples to accomplish things that seemed beyond their potential. Things like feeding 5,000 people, healing the sick, and most of all, casting out demons. And remember, they failed. They came back and they said, Lord, what do we do now? It didn't work. And it was a teaching moment for Jesus and his young men. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, it was physically impossible for them to complete it. But he used it to expand the vision and get them started planting churches around the world. And we're still following that teaching and still feeling the impossibility of it all. But because of the teaching of Jesus, we continue to take the gospel to the whole world. Perhaps the most challenging part of the teaching of Jesus, and the most famous, by the way, is found in Matthew 5 through 7. This is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. These chapters prove that Jesus was more than a carpenter, more than a preacher, and more than a mere man. From his first word, he spoke as if he were the author and interpreter of Scripture. His words and their tone amazed the crowds as they astound us today. And in the Sermon of the Mount, we have a set of ethics that has never been bettered, a set of images that have never been forgotten, and a set of instructions so relevant and challenging for us today as if they were written just for us. There are 107 verses in the Sermon on the Mount And here we have, now listen to this, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have this, the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, the Golden Rule, the City on a Hill, the Salt of the Earth, the Narrow Gate, and the Wise Man who Built His House Upon a Rock. Here in this sermon, we discover the eternal dimensions of morality and spirituality, and we discover how to deal with anger and lust and divorce and retaliation and anxiety and oaths and hypocrisy. All of those are taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and we know what to do when we read them. In Matthew 5 through 7, we have the greatest advice ever given in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man who ever lived. The Sermon on the Mount provides evidence for the truthfulness of Christ in Christianity. For if Jesus were any less than he claimed, his message would have been less than it was. How otherwise do we explain that? Here we are over 2,000 years later talking about a sermon that was preached by a man outside on a mountain to a group of people who don't have anything to do with us or our culture today. That sermon is still the greatest sermon from the greatest preacher 
who ever lived. And it is also regarded as one of the most famous speeches in world history and the greatest message on practical ethics and moral psychology that has ever been delivered by anyone. The secularists say that, not religious people. The sermon, that's what it's called, the sermon by Jesus. It has changed lives um, all over the world. It's changed my life. I've studied it many times. I've preached through it two or three times. I constantly refer to it because here is the fountainhead of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And uh, he is not only the teacher of the truth, he is the truth to be taught. We'll have more of this tomorrow right here on the Tuesday edition of Turning Point. I hope you'll join us. I hope uh, you're doing well. You're being strong and safe and um, you're not getting sick. Please don't do that. Uh, This is an important time in our culture, important time in our country for us to be cautious as we try to get back to uh, some sense of normality. We're here for you every day, and we're also on television every day. I want you to know that every day on television, Monday through Friday, on many new networks and stations, you can watch Turning Point, the television edition. I hope you'll find out about it and join us. Uh, This is a good time to download lots of truth into your life, and uh, we're here to do that and help you with it. We'll see you right here tomorrow on this good station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Jesus You May Not Know, please visit our website where we offer two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's new book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It's written to help you reconnect with Christ and rediscover the joy of your salvation. And it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard Version and New International Version, as well as in Standard or Large Print in the New King James, filled with helpful notes and articles by Dr. Jeremiah. Get the details when you contact us today. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. 
there is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be? If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV.